Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. show. The truth train doesn't stop here. Did you know that you can connect with us and our guests further? Join us on the uncensored platform, Telegram for live chats and Q&A with our guests. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. It's definitely a pleasure to have you here. We've been interested in speaking with you. You've been doing some great work with breast implant illness awareness, and I hear that you're also working um, with the FDA to try to get approval for informing doctors better on what exactly is BII and the toxicity of breast implant illness. Before we jump into today's episode, would you give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Sure. So my name is Robin Tout, and I'm co-founder of GPAC, which stands for Global Patient Advocacy Coalition. And I founded it with, uh, with my best friend, Terry Diaz, who also suffered from breast implant illness. And she's also the creator of the Florida Breast Implant Illness Group. So we formed GPAC because we have connected with women in all different countries all over the world. And we are finding that, you know, we, we're all experiencing the same problems with breast implants. So breast implants, um, as many people may not know, are made up of over 40 toxic chemicals um, that are planted, implanted inside the body. And many women are having a reaction to these chemicals in their body. Um, I had my breast implants for breast cancer when I was diagnosed in 2017. I chose to have a double mastectomy and reconstruction with breast implants. My doctors, you know, made it sound like it was easy and this is just what you do after breast cancer. And I did look up if breast implants were safe. Um, And back in 2017, everything that I found on breast implants said that they were safe and FDA approved. So I had um, something called tissue expanders, which is a device that they put in a breast cancer patient's chest to expand the skin to get ready to put breast implants in. And really, um, I didn't have any treatment for my breast cancer. I didn't have chemotherapy or radiation or hormone treatment. I just had surgery. And when I had surgery and got these devices put in my body, my health started to decline rapidly. Um, A lot of the women that I've seen and worked with over the past five years since this happened to me, I know that some of them have taken years, maybe even over a decade, to start becoming really sick. The symptoms kind of creep up on them. But for me, it was instant. I mean, the week that I got my implants, it was, um, you know, it started with headaches and migraines and heart palpitations, like you said, your sister had. Uh, difficulty breathing. At times I felt like I I was out of breath and I wasn't going to be able to breathe. And the symptoms just continued to get worse. I went from being a healthy middle-aged woman walking five to seven miles a day to not even be able to walk to my mailbox. So it hit me hard. And I had gone back to my plastic surgeon with all of these problems. You know, I was having rashes. I was having a lot of pain insomnia. I'd never had problems sleeping my entire life, but I wasn't able to sleep more than two to three hours a night. And not once did she mention to me that I could be having a reaction to my breast implants. She gave me pills. She gave me pain pills, muscle relaxers, sleeping pills, seizure medication, um, none of which I was interested in taking. I just wanted to feel good like I felt when I had breast cancer before I had these surgeries. So it really didn't hit me until I spoke with another breast cancer patient who told me that she had had a breast augmentation, just got a boob job because she worked for a plastic surgeon and she was sick for 12 years from her implants. And she told me all about breast implant illness. She told me there's this online community of women in all these Facebook groups that are suffering from the same thing I was suffering from. So that made sense to me because I couldn't figure out any other reason why I would be all of a sudden having 24 different symptoms that were completely random. Um, so I decided to have my implants removed. I only had them in for less than four months. And when I had them removed, every symptom went away. So for me, that was, I was elated, right? That I got my health back and I felt normal again, but I was shocked and angry that how did this happen to me? 
I'm a breast cancer patient that had an entire team of doctors managing my care and every single one of them failed me. Not one told me that this could happen from breast implants. So that's really what prompted me to become a patient advocate. And I have really just been speaking out ever since. I speak out on support groups online. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, I passed a law here in Arizona for informed consent for breast implant surgery because doctors are not telling patients this information. And also, unfortunately, the FDA isn't letting medical professionals know about this information. So like you said, your sister went to all these different doctors and none of them knew what was going on with her because the medical community doesn't know. It's like the dirty little secret that they're keeping. So really, that's me in a nutshell. That's why I do what I do. I've been doing it for the past five years and um, it's strictly on a volunteer basis. I'm happy to do it just to get the word out there. Um, at the same time, I'm shocked at every week I have patients come to me saying, I just heard about breast implant illness last week. I found your page. I found your group. I found your website. And they want to know all the information, and I'm happy to share it and help people out. Wow, that definitely is quite the journey. And um, I think that's that's so similar to what Tammy experiences, the level of shock to be going to people that are, quote, medical professionals and that they just are so unaware. They're so used to just um, treating, prescribing. They don't really seemingly care about what is causing it. And I know that that's um, what we both realize is that's a huge difference between like the holistic medical community and we'll just call them the regular medical community, um, that they just are not looking as to like what is causing these things. It's like, oh, I have a headache. We'll treat the headache. Well, but why do I have a headache? Just like everybody else, we do things out of convenience. That's the same reason why we make the food choices we do. And that's the same when you don't feel well, you make the medic medication and medical decisions that you do um, because that's a lot faster than, you know, mixing your own ingredients and um, trying to take a holistic approach to it. When I look at what happens with breast implant illness and the amount of times Tammy has gone to the doctor going, um, I feel like I'm dying. Like she's crying like every night before sleep because she really thought she wasn't going to wake up. She thought she was, she going, was going to, going to die. die many days. Many days. And so, so that can that just can really be really a very catastrophic um, a catastrophic feeling. Now, to put it kind of like in your shoes, going through um, breast cancer, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. Is um, I'm even hearing about like the mammograms and things like that not being safe and healthy. Um, we're sold that like we should get checked and those things can actually cause problems. So I was curious if you would share um, your experience with that. If you were getting mammograms, how often and how did you find out that you had breast cancer? Sure. I, I think that's a great question too, because I have very conflicting feelings about mammograms with breast implants. So Obviously, I'm a proponent of mammograms. My breast cancer was detected from a routine mammogram. So I am grateful for that. I'm grateful that I found my cancer early. Um, you know, but there are other there are other ways of screening for breast cancer that are that don't contain radiation, so such as MRI, thermograms, ultrasound. Um, so I, I definitely want to, you know, that out because a lot of people like you said, just listen to their doctors and go for their mammogram. And mammograms do have radiation, right? Just like x-rays. And um, so we have to be concerned about that. But my breast cancer was found on a routine mammogram. Um, and I know that everyone talks about breast cancer screening. However, I have been a patient advocate for five years and I've talked to numerous women who have told me that they felt fine with their breast implants. They were having no experience they were experiencing no problems whatsoever, no symptoms from their breast implants. And then they went for a routine mammogram and they started to get sick afterwards. So for any of your listeners out there who have ever had a mammogram with or without implants, you know the process, you know how they take the breast and they, you know, squish it in between the plates. But with implants, what they try to do, and I never had one with implants because I only had my implants in for four months. And now I don't have breasts, so I don't ever have to have a mammogram ever again. But what they typically do is they will try to move the implant out of the way 
and then get just breast tissue in between those plates. But, you know, the, our breast tissue is such a delicate tissue and they've already damaged the tissue and the muscles and everything when they, you know, jam the implants in there. Um, so I've talked to enough women who told me they were totally fine until they got a routine mammogram with their implants. Then they started getting sick and then it was determined their implants were ruptured. And, you know, sometimes they may have, they, they may not have realized their implants were ruptured for over a year or two or three years. And so then you have these chemicals leaking into your body from a ruptured implant. So I'm not a fan of it. Uh, and, you know, a lot of doctors would probably disagree with me, but I've been doing this long enough to see that I've seen enough to know. Um, but, you know, you're exactly right when you going back to talking about the root cause of our disease or illness. You know, it's really important. What, I think everyone at this point is waking up to the fact that Western medicine doctors have been trained a certain way, right? They go to medical schools. Who funds those medical schools? Who pays for their new expensive West Wing? You know, the pharmaceutical companies, the medical device companies will donate $20 million to help you build your wing. But then at the same time, these medical schools are being taught a certain narrative, right? And I feel like Western medicine doctors are taught to prescribe medications. So when, when we realize that, I mean, just like you do when you go in for a cold. And don't get me wrong, I am totally not opposed to Western medicine. I think there's a time and a place for it. I think there's a time and a place for medical devices. I think there's a time and a place for cancer treatments, chemotherapy, radiation. Radiation saved my life, right? But at the same time, they wanted me to do chemotherapy for my breast cancer. And when I looked at all of my numbers, when I looked at my tumor markers, when I looked at the kind of breast cancer that I had, it didn't make sense for me to do chemotherapy, which would have had more detrimental effects on my health than it would have benefits for my health. So really it is about in informed consent and having the knowledge and the information to make an educated and informed choice, whether it's about getting a medical device after breast cancer surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, taking a pill that your doctor's prescribed for you know, your cough, whatever it may be. Absolutely, Western medicine and pharmaceutical drugs have a time and a place. You know, When your kid has strep throat, you can put them on an antibiotic and it clears it up within a week and, and you're great. So um, wanna make that totally clear that I'm not completely opposed to it, but we do have to think critically and do our research and look into what we're being prescribed. Because I will say this, I feel like our entire world, especially in our country, is overprescribed for everything. And if you look at cases worldwide and look at medical systems worldwide, United States have the most unhealthy people, yet we are the top consumers of medical device and pharmaceutical, that whole industry. So I feel like everything's overprescribed. You know, if you have any little inkling of anything going on in your body, there's a drug for that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it was just frustrating for me that the doctors, if they did know, they weren't telling me. And if they are telling patients, they're brushing it off as this is rare, this hardly ever happens. Yet I, I go on Facebook. I wasn't even on Facebook at the time that I was sick. And I see that there's literally hundreds of thousands of women telling the same story that I'm telling. And there's even groups of doctors out there that are going as far as saying these women are making it up because they saw a girl online that was talking about it. That is not me. I wasn't even on Facebook. I had not heard of any of this. Um, so there's nothing that I had ever seen in my life at that time that would have put that idea even in my head. I mean, I was literally searching for answers online, typing in symptoms because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Breast implant illness wasn't even on my radar. So um, so I just thought it was really important to, you know, as I've done research into the history of breast implants, you know, they were banned for over a decade, silicone implants in the 90s. And I've dug really deep into the research of how they became banned, how they got back on the market, who were the people involved, who were the key players and the influencers and the leaders that made that happen. And, you know, it's taken me five years, but I have a really good picture now of how it all falls into place. Um, 
And most people don't know what's going on and how, how we got here. So when you look at a medical device that is an elective medical device, it is not life-saving like artificial hips and knees and pacemakers. This is a completely elective device. Yes, even for breast cancer patients. I don't have breasts because after I explanted and had my implants removed, I chose to stay flat. I don't need breasts to survive and live my life and have a quality of life and you know fulfill my dreams. So for an elective device that's been on the market for 60 years, that's been controversial and causing medical problems in women ever since its inception, we need to do better. And that's my mission. And that is the mission of GPAC, our organization, is to work with the people who can make these changes. Who can make these changes? Doctors can, medical societies, um, the FDA, other health regulators around the globe. And those are the conversations that we're having. And that's where we're making progress. Is it slow progress? Yes, it's very slow and sometimes painful, but we are making progress. You know, we, we had so many cases of cancer that were continuing to pop up from these um, medical devices that had a textured surface that they recalled the manufacturer that was causing the most cases of that cancer. And I feel like sometimes our progress is always halfway done, right? They only recalled one manufacturer. But in the United States, we had four manufacturers that are making those textured devices. And the other three manufacturers, you know, their products are still on the market. I will say that in my work, I, I have noticed that most plastic surgeons aren't using those devices anymore. But I just helped a lady last month who just got textured devices put in less than a year ago. And she's taken them out less than a year later. So. It's still happening there, you know, there just needs to be more awareness. And that's really what we're focusing on right now. We actually had a call last week with the FDA. Um, we have been, we've been asking them for years to issue a healthcare provider letter to all medical professionals to let them know that we're having these problems with breast implants, that these implants have been recalled, that now all breast implants have a black box warning. The black box warning is the strongest labeling that the FDA gives on the most dangerous and deadly devices on the market. And all breast implants in the United States have a black box warning now. That's something that should be known by every doctor, physician, ER doctor, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs. That's something that should be known by all of those people. So, um, so we've been working basically all of 22 2022, um, really hard with the FDA having meetings about this. And I, I want to share some language in a letter that I, I basically asked them for an official statement. Like, breast implants have been making women sick for 60 years. Why are you not letting all doctors and nurses uh, know about this? And so, in their response to me, um, which this email was dated May 10th, 2022. Um, they, they talked about how the FDA is committed to making a positive impact on women's health. And we recognize that risk communication related to breast implants is essential for assuring patient safety. To this point, the FDA has posted information on our website. We've disseminated videos and presented before numerous groups, held numerous press interviews, among other actions to emphasize the need for more education and risk communication about breast implants. So then I'm just gonna point out there are three key um, points that they wanted to make in this letter to me. And they said that I could use this as their public statement because I told them I'd be doing a lot of podcasts and interviews, and I wanna be a, resp a responsible patient advocate. I wanna make sure that if I'm speaking on this topic, that I'm portraying the truthful information that's coming straight from the FDA. So I always refer to the FDA's website when they put out announcements about breast implants. And this um, statement came directly from this FDA email. So they wanted to let us know that their website on breast implant uh, systemic symptoms for women with breast implants was viewed 50,500 times since they posted it. Their YouTube channel was viewed 50,000 times. And they have sent out 220,000 email communications to people who signed up to receive updates on breast implant safety from the FDA. So essentially, they've reached about 320,500 people. And we don't even know if those people are medical professionals. I myself um, am kind of a research junkie. I'm on the FDA website all the time looking at those links. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, OK? I'm going to say if every single one of those people 
were medical professionals, they only reached a little over 320,000. So I decided to do some research and I found out that we have right around a million medical physicians that have a license, active medical license in the United States. And we have 3.8 million registered nurses working right now in our country for a total of 4.8 million, just doctors and nurses. And they only reached a little over 320,000. That's paltry at best. And it's completely unacceptable for women who are going from doctor to doctor to doctor, sometimes 10, 20, 37 doctors, 52 doctors looking for answers. And these doctors have no idea that these symptoms and, and illnesses can be caused by breast implants. It's criminal at this point that they are not getting that information out to people who can help these patients, to people who can um, you know, assist these patients in getting their health back. And some of these women go so long without getting help. They have permanent long-term damage to their bodies, to their endocrine system, to their um, immune system, because their body systems are just shutting down because they can't handle the toxicity. They can't handle fighting the foreign object 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, if you're given a medication that you have a reaction to, like you did with your cold medicine, you can stop taking it. You don't have to take it the next night when you go to bed. But you have these devices implanted in your body, in your chest, above your heart and your lungs. And there's lymph nodes. Your whole lymphatic system is right there. Um, it's very tragic. And there's, it's very well documented. The medical literature shows toxicity of silicone. It shows that gel bleed happens with all breast implants because the shells are permeable. They break down, they degrade, they decompose in the body. Particles of those shells are, are just sloughing off into the body. So even the, the manufacturers have this in their patient literature. None of the patients are getting that literature. I did a survey and over 5,000 women answered. 86% of those women never got the patient literature from the manufacturer. So it's a big problem. It absolutely is a big problem. And before uh, we go further and dissect that a little bit, um, your your group that you're the co-founder of the Global Patient Advocacy Coalition, so GPAC, um, right now, um, I just wanted to give a quick call to action to our listeners, anybody that would like um, to support you, be more involved, help be an advocate, share your information. Can you give them um, what's the best place to uh, find you and be able to connect with the GPAC? So our website is www.gpacunited.org. Um, we have a great resource um, page where we have tons of information on not just breast implants, mesh, other medical devices, birth control devices, IUDs. We're seeing the same types of symptoms with these, you know, medical devices that are foreign object in the body. So we have tons of information on there. We have information for breast cancer patients and groups that they can join for support. And um, we're currently circulating a petition to get people to sign our petition to help us ask the FDA, urge the FDA and demand they send this letter to healthcare providers and let them know. And you know, I wanna point out too that a lot of other regulators around the globe tend to follow what the FDA does. So the FDA can kind of be like a leader in that sense. And um, think of all the women that we could help. Think of all the patients that could be saved if medical providers just knew this information. So definitely visit gpacunited.org. Um, check out our resource page, check out who we are, um, sign up for our blogs and our newsletter updates. And please, please sign and share the petition. No need to donate. We're not asking for money. We're not paying to boost the post. We just want it to happen organically. Um, but we definitely need signatures. We need the FDA to know that hundreds of thousands of people are asking for this. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that information. So hopefully some of our listeners can um, dive in and contribute. And of course, we'll be sharing your page and some information um, as we get closer to releasing this podcast and in the future, because it is something uh, that Tammy and I uh, are very much aware of and are passionate about. Um, I want to get a genuine reaction from you when you see the way um, that society and beauty standards are going right now. 
having all of this um, work done. So a lot of times when we say breast implants, a lot of um, men and or groups of people, <laughs> groups of people uh, tend to check out of the conversation because we associate um, uh, breasts and implants with women. But like you said, all of these other medical devices that are we're adding to our body um, do have an effect. Uh, learning that from the holistic perspective that anything, <laughs> any foreign object that you're putting in your body will um, cause some type of reaction. And so I wanted to get um, kind of like your general thoughts on that. And have you guys taken any approach to um, to men that are now having so much plastic surgery implants, even calf implants, butt implants, bicep, pec, all of these things? Um, what is that like inside of your, your organization and your outreach? We are definitely seeing um, and, and working with men that have um, – implantable device issues. Um, we have, we actually have a lot of men that have hernia mesh, um, very common. And I'm really proud of these men. You know, it's not an easy topic to talk about our private parts, right? I basically, all of my social media, I don't have pictures of my family or anything on there. It is all about my advocacy work and literally women just talking about their breasts. Um, so it's a difficult, but very brave thing to do to speak out about this because a lot of the men that are getting these hernia meshes, you know, um, they could be abdominal hernias, but what's happening with the mesh and some of the, of these other implantable devices like IUDs and birth control devices is they don't stay where they're put. They start to break down. They start to disintegrate. They start to migrate in the body. I mean, we literally had a woman in the UK last week who had mesh in her abdomen for a hernia and the mesh was starting to break apart and migrate. And it li literally strangled her intestines and it made her intestines burst. And then the fecal matter that your intestines carry that are supposed to come out the colon and be flushed down the toilet all went into her body. She became, became septic and she died. This is what is happening to these people. These people are so damaged. They're disabled. They can no longer work. Um, they can't pay their medical bills. They're literally in poverty and in debt, buried in medical bills and buried in a medical system with doctors who won't help them. Because again, going back to medical training and Western medicine, these doctors are trained to put these devices in. They don't know how to get them out. Mesh was never meant to be a device that was removed from the body. It was meant to be a permanent implanted device, but no one ever thought, uh-oh, what should we do if a patient has a reaction to this? So this is very concerning for us. I mean, there are only a handful of doctors in the world who are trained to remove mesh, and they're not training doctors anymore to do this. Yeah. We need to rally these doctors up. We need to get medical symposiums together and educate these doctors that we have to go back 30 years and retrain. We have to retrain the new ones coming in. These patients are literally dying in their homes with no help. And, and, and the doctors don't know what to do with them. So um, we see men with chin implants. We see men with calf implants. We see the transgender community um, that are transitioning. And not only are they getting implants, but they're also put on these hormone um, that, are, that are changing all the systems in their body. So it, it's becoming a problem. And we really need more awareness about it. We need more awareness. I mean, we all know, we all saw the commercials with the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, every we don't even really watch TV in our house, but every time we turn on the TV, there was some kind of commercial about COVID-19. Where are the commercials? Where are the public service announcements on these people who are suffering from medical devices, right? Who's funding those, those commercials about COVID-19? And why aren't they funding this? And I can tell you why. It's about money and it's about the medical device and the pharmaceutical industries. They are billions and billions of dollars at stake. And they use that money to make commercials to put these devices in, to prescribe these drugs. They use that money to lobby congressmen and senators to pass bills that protect them, to pass bills that give them tax breaks. So our whole entire system is broken. There is so much work to be done. Um, and I'm so glad to have this opportunity to be on your platform where if you have any listeners out there that have connections to 
um, legislators. You know, I work with state legislators. We're passing legislation in five states right now, and we need federal legislators. We need global regulators. If anyone has connections, please reach out to us. Our emails are on our website, and we'd love to connect with you and set up meetings um, because these patients are suffering. And at the end of the day, most of the legislators, most of the regulators that we talk to, they have no idea any of this is going on. So it's really up to us to share our stories, speak out, continue to share. And we, we have a platform where we can bring these stories to the FDA. We can be a voice for the people that don't have a voice, for the people that don't have time or money or energy or the health to advocate even for themselves. It's just tragic to see this. I mean, just the downfall of our entire medical system and how it's become about money and profits and not patients anymore. We need to bring the patient back to the center of the healthcare team. And that's what it's all about. Just a brief story about the lady with the mesh and then it getting her intestines and her becoming septic. Um, that really, just wanted to take a moment to just like acknowledge her because she is, she is one of the many that um, as Jeff referred to it as like the medical merry-go-round. And not only is just the the implants part of money they make and uh, the recovery part of the money they make, think about all of the money that's spent going to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor looking for answers. And then you're taking medication, medication, medication. Um, he said something like, uh, after a woman receives breast implants, when she starts having symptoms of breast implant illness, she can, the average woman spends about $40,000 um, in the medical merry-go-round trying to find a solution before they figure it out. Um, and if, I want to hop back even a little bit further than that about um, the doctors that say that like women are making it up because they saw someone else do it and stuff like that. Um, I'm not a feminist, <laughs> but isn't that just so um, uh, stereotypical of uh, society and a field that's predominated by men to think that women are so delusional, they're not listening to their body. When I think that if you studied um, medicine, you study the body and you study women patients, you'll find that women are more intuitive to their body and what's happening and knowing that something is wrong more than basically any medical test. They can typically pinpoint it faster um, than they can figure out what test they should even give you to see if they can find an answer. So um, thank you for sharing all of that information. It is beyond valuable. And uh, I definitely agree. Going back, we just need to uh, Western medicine, pharmaceuticals, those things do have a time and a place uh, when it comes to it. But if we keep going down this path of convenience, um, we're going to be killing ourselves um, very rapidly. Um, I just don't believe that illness comes from within. We don't get illness from each other um, in, in the mindset of what we've been programmed to think. Um, just like the earth is not meant to destroy itself, we are beautifully and wonderfully made. And everything that's happening to us now is a result of the uh, environment that we've surrounded ourselves with between the food that we ingest, the pharmaceuticals that we take, the things that they're spraying in the air and water, um, and forced medication. Them putting fluoride in tap water, which is supposed to be water because we're humans and we need water to survive. I always I think of that in my head as like, we're the only species that pays to live on the planet. Um, and it's like just this very odd design um, that we have things set up that should be for basic necessities as opposed to, um, you know, just really how the world should work. We All of these life skills have been taken away from us. All of our healing remedies have been taken away from us. Um, I'm going today for vitamin injections and um, I get the side eye as to you know, what are you getting injected with? And I'm like, well, vitamins. Well, what's in it? Well, it's vitamins. Um, you know, but if I was going to get um, the most recent hokey pokey, my third or my fourth one, which I haven't had any, um, but if I was going to do that, nobody would bat an eye. It's bizarre to me. It is bizarre. And, you know, I, I, it was, the irony of this is, is kind of comical because 
I've never been a fan of history. Like all the subjects we were taught in school, for me, history was kind of the most boring. But here I am now, uh, you know, 50 year old woman and history is the most intriguing uh, topic for me. And if you go back and look at the history of the pharmaceutical industry and you go back and look at the history of Western medicine, you know, it, it's all about profit because for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, human beings have healed themselves with their own body systems and with the things that our earth has given us, right? But don't ever forget that those natural things cannot be patented and sold for profit. And that's, that's really all we need to know. Um, it's all out there. You can Google it. You can go on whatever search engine you use and look up who's responsible for the, basically the, the creation of Western medicine, the creation of big pharma. And you can see exactly how it came to be and that it's all about money and the gaslighting that we're seeing with these patients. They are taught that in medical school. They are taught to spew the same buzzwords. If you go back and look at history, you can look at articles that were written in 1919 and they will say the same buzzwords like we need to trust the science. Cigarettes are a perfect example, right? In the 1940s and 50s, doctors were saying, I smoke camels because they go down smoother. And doctors are people that people, you know, the whole entire population trusted their doctors. So if my doctor smokes camels, I'm going to go smoke camels too. They're the best cigarette on the market. So for, for over 100 years, you know, the pharmaceutical industry has creatively been using doctors to promote their products. Um, and then, like I said, you know, they donate to the medical schools, they fund their grants and their research and all that. Round and round the merry-go-round we go. And um, it, it's so interesting to watch. And then it's so interesting to pick out the key players. Like I know all the breast implant key players. Now I went to the FDA. They had a two day hearing on breast implants in March of 2019. And I had no idea who any of those people are, were or are, um, but I know all those names now because I've read every single one of their uh, scientific studies. I've read every single one of their conflict of interest. I've looked up every single one of their names to see how much money they've taken from the medical device industries, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they want us to trust their science and their research. Yet I have rheumatologists, pulmonologists, and radiologists who make zero money from breast implants, and their research says something completely different. Their research shows the toxicity of the chemicals in silicone. Their research shows autoimmune diseases that pop up after having a foreign object in the body. So why are we listening to research from people who make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from these medical device manufacturers when we have total biased, unbiased researchers that are saying something completely different. Um, so it's time to think outside of the box. And I actually was recently invited to Boston to speak at the American Society of Plastic Surgeons annual conference. And I said just that. I said, you know, if if we're really truly going to look at the at the research and the history and the literature, scientific literature about breast implants, you need to step outside the plastic surgery journals the aesthetic surgery journals and you need to go looking elsewhere on studies that were done on breast implants by rheumatologists and pulmonologists and radiologists because you will find a whole nother world of information and that's what we're asking for and that's what we are that's our job is we're there to present this um we recently had the breast implant health summit just last month and it was amazing to see the lineup of practitioners that um, my friends Danielle Valores and Terry Diaz put together for this summit, presenting tons of information. Um, so if anyone wants, they can go up and still sign up for the summit, even though it happened last month, you can um, purchase it. Doctors, we encourage medical professionals because that's really where the, the real research is, the real science. And we just need to get to the bottom of it and figure out how to help these women and just start thinking critically about what is your doctor saying? What is your doctor prescribing and why? And then do your own research. So, and I, I'm kind of all over the place with my medical research. So if there's something um, that we haven't talked about today on your podcast and someone's interested in a specific medical device or, or drug or anything like that, I'm happy to point them in the right direction on how to find good research. 
um, because I think that's the most important part. And it's all out there. It's in the National Library of Medicine, all these PubMed journals. Um, you just got to go and, and find the articles and read them. They never expected us to do that. So I think that's that's why we've made some progress is we're actually questioning and calling out their narrative. And we're shedding light on the truth. Right. And, um, I, you know, I'm so grateful that you're doing that. And I'm so grateful to see that um, you're not alone in the movement when it affects as many people. Um, they just would would lead you to believe that something is rare. You know, when we look at the FDA's um, approval of things and things that they say are rare, uh, you really just can't help but to make connections between their longstanding of doing the same thing over and over and where we are today with certain other things. Um, it's really frightening, if I if I can call it anything. Um, I did read this really great book. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but it's called False Alarm. It's really a great beginning basis for looking back at history, um, looking at some of the propaganda that's been used. Um, they had, they did also call out the FDA on like, uh, I want to say like four or five different topics that the FDA was involved in. Um, so for people that might be in, um, I don't want to say denial, but not really sure where they stand on it, that's a really good um, lightweight red pill book um, for them to understand the propaganda of it. When you say you didn't like history, that's me too. As we get older and we take an interest in it, it's almost better because now we don't have to unlearn what we didn't pay attention to, right? We can learn the real history of things and we can do our own digging and our own research. And um, I'm so grateful to God every single day that he gave me a curious mind. Are some of my questions bizarre? Yes, but... If that's what keeps my my mind going, thinking, those are all things that contribute to my own mental wellness. Um, and I'm really just so grateful for it to, to be curious about things, to ask questions that make people go, make a little face as to like, why do you even care about that? Or, um, you know, people that have that kind of it is what it is uh, attitude towards life. And so that's something definitely I can, uh, I can relate to is doing your doing your own work, doing your own research. And there's no telling where God is going to call you to be what information that you're going to find that sparks that interest. Um, but I think that people with a curious mind that aren't afraid to dig that aren't af afraid to even oppose their own views on things um, is something really special. And then it's such a blessing to be able to share that information. Um, I was always very proud to be an American. I know that things um, are a little sticky right now when it comes to sharing information. We're very heavily censored. You see, pharmaceutical is the ruler. You cannot speak out against it. I like to ask people just this very simple question. Is anytime you see um, a medication um, that is advertised on TV, the person at the end of the commercial always speaks very quickly to tell you may cause suicidal thoughts, abdominal bleeding, your left toe is going to fall off, your hair is going to fall out, and your, your eyes is going to be twitching constantly. You have the person that runs that right at the end of it. Um, so two things is one, when you see advertisements for um, the current thing, and they, they don't say any of those things, how does that not strike a chord with you that there is absolutely nothing that you can put on TV, like even they've even so-called held fast food restaurants accountable by making sure that they post their nutrition facts for what size soda you get, how many calories are in the burger um, and things like that. So um, there's a, it's almost like a facade of accountability that they push to help us trust them. And now we just trust them lying to us. Um, any thoughts on that? I actually have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because another little history lesson for everyone. Um, I'm not sure if your listeners know, but there are only two countries in the entire world that allow pharmaceutical companies to put TV ads on the television set, the United States and New Zealand. And 
I'll have to look it up. Um, but I think New Zealand is only allowed to put like over the counter medications, stuff like Tylenol and cold medicine, Triminic, whatever, um, that people can just buy uh, without a prescription. But the United States medical manufacturers, whether it's drugs or devices or anything, spend billions and billions of dollars on direct to consumer advertising. First of all, I personally think this is criminal and should not be allowed. It, there needs to be a federal law against it. Um, I've literally seen commercials that say, ask your doctor about blank. Um, why are you talking to lay people that have no medical background, no medical histories that, you know, that they have knowledge of how drugs or devices interact in the human body? Why are you allowed to spend billions and billions of dollars putting a commercial on TV talking to that person sitting in their living room? That's horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying. And the amount of money that they spend doing it is even more horrifying. Um, but then another history lesson is going back to the FDA, which used to be publicly funded by taxpayer money. But back in the mid seventies, the structure of that changed and the FDA now gets almost half of their funding from user fees for drugs and medical devices. So if people don't think that those user fees that are paying the FDA people's salary have anything to do with how the FDA policies are set up, they are sadly mistaken. There are so many policies that the FDA has right now that need to be eliminated completely. First of which is called what we call the 510K process. It's basically how the FDA approves medical devices. If there's Thing remotely similar to a device that you're bringing to the market, it gets fast-tracked through the 510k loophole. And basically they're saying, oh, oh yeah, breast implants have been around for 60 years. So we're just going to go ahead and let yours on the market, just do this little study, fill out this form, check, 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 you're good to go. The interesting thing about the 510k process is devices are being approved based on devices that have been pulled and banned from the market. So if a product is, if a birth control device, let's say, for example, has been recalled worldwide and is no longer on the market, but you come up 10 years later with a product that's similar and that device was approved by the FDA, you can get your device approved. That's horrifying to me. Also horrifying is the fact um, that right before our 2019 FDA hearing on breast implants, it was discovered that the FDA was hiding over 446,000 reports of women who are harmed by breast implants. That's almost a half a million women sick from breast implants, and the FDA was withholding that from the public. So when that was brought to light, they discovered it was the manufacturers were being allowed to lump reports together. So if you had 100 women that were experiencing migraines or got diagnosed with lupus after having breast implants placed, instead of the FDA filing 100, or I'm sorry, instead of the manufacturers filing 100 different cases, the FDA was allowing them for convenience to loop all of those reports together and submit it as one alternative summary report. So if you were astute enough to go on the FDA website to say, you know, okay, are breast implants safe? I'm going to look at the adverse event reports, which nobody does, by the way, nobody in their spare time, besides now people like me, um, even doctors don't spend their spare time perusing the FDA website. So if you were to go on the FDA website and look at the adverse events for breast implants, they looked pretty safe because three to 400,000 women a year are getting breast implants and only about four or 5,000 women were having problems with them. Those are pretty good odds, right? That's a pretty good benefit to risk ratio. Women look at that and say, I'll take my chances. But that wasn't the case. It was really 50 to 60,000 women who were suffering from complications. And that was being withheld from the public because the FDA basically caters to the manufacturers. And it shouldn't be like that. The FDA was developed to protect consumers, to protect patients. And when you start changing the structure of their funding, you start changing, you know, the direct interests and it all just trickles down, causes a big mess. So there's a little history lesson for the day.
Now, isn't that the same that they did with cigarettes is they were withholding the information about it giving the mice cancer and then once cigarettes became more popular, uh, like cigarettes actually used to be prescribed, right? That was like the first anxiety medicine, if I'm not mistaken. I just started going down the uh, the cigarette rabbit hole, but I, I do find it very interesting you know, everything is by design. If you really start thinking critically about how things have happened, you know, people started getting sick from, from cigarettes, like people started getting sick from breast implants. But unfortunately in our country, you know, it's kind of like, they don't have to prove the safety of it. We have to prove that it's unsafe. That is extremely difficult to do. We have plenty of proof that we have millions of women sick from breast implants, but because we can't come up with the causal link, they say, well, there's no scientific evidence linking it. And, you know, MD Anderson just a few years ago came out with the largest study ever done on breast implants. Almost 100,000 women were studied. That's a good study. And it showed they have a higher instance of having autoimmune diseases, connective tissue disorders. So the association is there. But because no one has been able to prove the causation, like, oh, we know exactly what it is. It's the lead in breast implants or the mercury in breast implants. That's what's causing women to get sick. We've, we've found the link and now we know the answer. And because we haven't been able to do that, just like with cigarettes, it's going to take 50 years like it did with cigarettes to prove that. You know, we do have great doctors right now doing amazing studies, but there's so many things that could be. There's so many different rabbit holes to go down and all of that costs money. And guess what? The good doctors that are doing the good research, they don't have that kind of money. You know who does have a lot of money? The pharmaceutical companies, the medical device companies, and they fund the studies from the doctors that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars from them. And those studies show what they want the studies to show. So, and then when information does come out, it's strategically released to the public. Um, I think I read an article that the guy that came forth with the whole brouhaha about cigarettes released it on a Saturday when no one was going to see the news. The biggest breast implant news that just came out recently was on September 8th that breast implants cause an aggressive form of cancer. This cancer does not respond to chemotherapy or radiation. This cancer is highly aggressive, can literally spread to an entire breast in a week's time. They announced it the day the queen died. Well, that's convenient. Nobody was putting the FDA news on any channel around anywhere in the world because the only thing you saw on TV for weeks was about the queen's death, right? So it's all strategic. It's all of this big master plan. And, and if you think about it, I mean, it is a great business plan. These pharmaceutical companies, the medical device industries, I mean, they've got it wrapped up hook, line, and sinker. They're unstoppable. So it's a genius business plan. They just continue to make billions and billions of dollars. So a few people get cancer, a few people get sick. It, that's drops in the bucket. That's pennies to them. Pay them off, shut them up, and just keep harming people and making trillions of dollars doing it. It's a great business plan. So it's very unfortunate that we happen to be on the wrong side of that. I definitely, um, definitely agree. And... I just wonder, where's like the conflict of interest laws? Like, I will say that like, that's definitely a conflict of interest. And then something that dawned on me a few years ago is even like having a district attorney is a conflict of interest um, for uh, the defendant. Um, in cases when you're when you're going to court and you can't afford an attorney and one's going to be provided for you well who pays that attorney the court that's like our tax dollars is all funneled in this person gets paid that person gets paid and so um i realized that when i was going through a little a little court case myself um and I didn't have funding for for an attorney. And they're like a district attorney. And then I just started thinking about it. something sparked my interest. And I'm just like, you know, it's not right. Just think like you go in for like uh, speeding or something like that. And they're like, oh, we'll re reduce it down to a seatbelt. Um, or you're being accused of something you didn't do. And we'll reduce it down to this. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But also 
that's not even true. So now I'm pleading guilty to something that's a lesser offense that has nothing to do with what I was being accused of. So I can still make a payment to the court. So you guys still get paid. Like, what? How how does that make it make sense? Like, so we really like just as a community, as a society, as a nation, um, man, I just want us to do better in so many areas. Um, I saw so much passion for, um, you know, dismantling the police and abolish this and abolish that, the, you know, kind of like the crazy left just screaming all over the place. Um, and I just dream of a day where we can be unified and, uh, and be tactical and strategic about just starting to effectively break down these systems that really keep us sick, they keep us under control. Um, I really probably sound a little bit like a rebel right now. And that's okay, because that's who I am. But I just want to be united with people. And I want people to genuinely live free and healthy and happy. I think that that's so important. Um, I, you know, it's just it's in my heart. It's on my heart. Like I know that that's the life that is supposed to be for us. Um, and if we are just constantly um, divided and being fueled by like, just hate and propaganda, propaganda is like my number one enemy. Propaganda is my number one enemy. Um, even when I say things like sometimes I do, I talk about politics, and I talk about Democrats and the left and the right and, and, and all of these things, I do understand that that too, is like, um, something of control. And even when they're saying like, um, you know, they'll put they'll put out a certain policy that one side doesn't agree with considering like I'm a woman of God. So definitely conservative traditional values when it comes for me personally. Um, but I even think the things that they say that other people are saying and doing like this is what the left wants. This is so on and so forth. I really have to dial it back sometimes to say that even they're representing them, that still does not a representation of the American people. I don't walk down the street. I don't see people being angry. Nobody just hates me because I'm a different skin color. I don't hate somebody else because they're a different skin color or come from this area or that area. Um, that's that's just really not how my world works. And I think if people take a step back and look around, they'll see that's not how theirs works either. Um, but you can find unity in topics like this when it comes to people's health, when it comes to your medical freedom, understanding the importance of it, even if you yourself don't have um, an implanted device, there is a way that you can support people that are making a change like such as yourself, Robin, there people should be supporting you whether they think it, it affects them directly, because at the rate that the medical community is lying, we have all been affected in some way, shape or form. And if it's not you personally consider yourself very, very lucky, but it's probably your mom. It's probably your sister. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be your child that is going to go through this. And if we don't work together as a community to blow the whistle on what it is and get back to a more honest, helpful, healing way of life, um, I'll just say I'll pray that we can do that because the alternative of thinking about if we continue to go down this path is just, um, it's something that kind of just eats away at me. It's very uh, sad to me. Um, and I can't, it gives me passion to want to fight more, but it also like, I don't like to be sad. I don't yeah. want to be sad. I want to be happy and find unity with you guys, right? Yeah. It, you know, it can be dark sometimes. There are times where I wish I could go back to 10 years ago where I didn't know any any of what I know right now, but, um, and you know, I grew up in a time where when people were different from you, you just minded your own business and you accepted them for who they are. And um, these people were your friends, they were your neighbors, they were your coworkers. There's this crazy notion now that if people are different than you, you have to hate them. Right. It's expected that you hate them. And then they put it on the TV, see, you're supposed to hate these people. And the most interesting thing for me was during COVID, um, you know, I live in Arizona, thank goodness, we didn't have all the crazy stuff going on that many other states did. Um, so we tried to carry on with life as, as normal as possible. And the reality is people don't, people aren't like that. 
people really don't walk out and go to the grocery store and decide to hate someone that looks different than them or is different than them. People are genuinely, I actually did a women's retreat in the middle of COVID, 18 women that I'd never met before. Um, we all stayed in a house together. I had no idea who anybody was. We came from different races, different backgrounds, different political views. Everybody was different, total vast diverse group of women. It was one of the best weekends I've ever had in my life. And I didn't know any of them. They were complete strangers. And we literally loved on each other like we'd known each other for 40 years. So it, it, it really hit me hard because during that time, in, right smack in the middle of COVID, was when people were so divided and so hateful and spiteful towards each other because you were either this or that. There was nothing in between. And for me to look around at this group of women and not know anything of what their beliefs, just, I literally just got to know them for who they were. That is what our society should look like. That is what it has always been like for me. That's how I raised my kids. You know, I was also a teacher. So I was an elementary school teacher. And I'll be completely honest with you. When the bell rings and it's time to go out to recess, kids don't care if you're a boy or a girl or what color you are or what race you are, they just wanna go play at recess. They just wanna go kick, play kickball. They just wanna go on the swings and take turns on the slides. They really don't care. And how sad that we have created this society of divisiveness where literally elementary school kids have to go out on the playground and pick out someone that's different from them because this is what they're being taught by the adults in their lives. That's tragic to me. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Children are the most innocent innocent beings on the planet. They are inherently kind. They are inherently accepting of everybody and everything. How dare we ruin that innocence? That's just I, I totally agree. I do totally agree. You know, and and we can be we can do better. We can be better. I went to a retreat with 18 women that I didn't know and I treated them like I would a kindergarten classmate, you know? Just my friends, my classmates, my my neighbors, um, that's the way it should be, you know? And I think when people realize we don't have to fall into that trap of what they want us to do to each other, it becomes a whole different world. I mean, my advocacy is a perfect example of that. My advocacy work does not discriminate. It does not discriminate between men or women or any other aspect of who a human being is because these medical devices that are harming people don't discriminate either. So I will literally fight for every single person out there, no matter what their beliefs are, no matter where they come from, no matter, you know, what their, their status is, I'll fight for every single one of them because that's what's right. And that's what we should be doing. So hopefully like you, I'm optimistic that we just lead by example, right. And be the shining light for people. And I mean, I'm not going to lie is there's dark times in what I do, but I, I have to focus on the good that's come out of this. I've literally met my very best friends in life through this journey. So that right there makes it worth it. They're my earth angels. And I would not trade this journey for anything as hard as it is, as uh, financially taxing as it is, because I do all my work for free voluntarily, but I wouldn't change it for the world because of the people I've met and the, the things we've, we've been able to do and accomplish. So I'm proud to say that it's just, part of the world we're in and I'm happy to be here to do it. That's beautiful. That's an awesome thing for sure. And so I want to close out with asking you that if you had one minute to speak to the world, this message was going to be broadcast around the world and you had one minute for people to listen to you, what would you say? I would say to please research ask questions, find people that have been through what you're going through. And the most important thing if, in regards to all things medical, whether it's medicines, devices, surgeries, cancer diagnoses, um, just be as informed as you possibly can. Talk to as many people as you can about it. Find organizations that have the literature to inform yourself because it really is about education. Um, and like, if I had one wish in one minute, um, I would want to reach all medical providers on the entire planet and just tell them 
please help your patients that are having these unexplained symptoms that they do seem crazy and you can't get to the root problems because most likely it's something in their body causing that, whether it's a device or a drug or, you know, some food that they're eating that they're having a reaction to. Um, it's really not that hard. Once you know, it seems so easy and it's just a simple fix that people could be helped so much quicker um, if medical providers just had that very simple information. So that would be my wish. That is definitely an awesome and a beautiful message. And hopefully it reaches people far and wide. If you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. This information hopefully has been helpful for you. And, um, you know, it can help the next person. All you have to do is hit follow and hit share. And uh, we'll help get Robin's message out to more people on this beautiful planet. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Robin. I'm so used to saying us, but it's just me today. Tammy is out on vacation. And while we miss uh, having her be part of this conversation, she will be part of our next conversation when we go live on Telegram. If you would like to join us for the Telegram chat, that'll be your opportunity to ask questions directly to Robin. And hopefully we can get a bit more information on the work that she's doing. Thank you again for being here. Thank you again for having me. Have a great day. Before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.